Welcome to Maniacally Midwest, a true crime podcast. Hello, our lovely listeners. Thank you for joining us again this week. Sorry about the little lapse in <laughs> recording last week. Uh, so, Clo Money caught the Covey movie. <laughs> My entire household was just a biohazard. So, <laughs> I got COVID, right? Which sucks within itself. And day one, the entire bathtub flooded into oh, the I downstairs. forgot that you texted me that. <laughs> yes. So it was just an all-around trash week, and we made it through. We're here, but thank you guys for hanging in there. I appreciate it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so she had that a couple of weeks ago, actually, our toilet hose, like behind the toilet, and my daughter's room, well, it's not her bathroom, the guest bathroom in our upstairs leaked through our ceiling. So when she texted me that her bathtub leaked through her ceiling, I was like, oh, shit. I know how that feels. It feels awful. It's not fun. Being and- a homeowner is a rough time, guys. And <laughs> I just paid my first mortgage payment, by the way. And that was my welcome home. So <laughs> my husband and- drilled holes in the ceiling so we could see like how much moisture was there. And it literally like pissed out of the ceiling for 30 minutes straight. <laughs> it was so bad. <laughs> So yeah, it's been a rough week for her. Um, at the end of this last week, if you can check out my mug this week, I went to Canadia. Mm-hmm. Our neighbors to the north, my husband and I went to Toronto for the weekend. It was our ninth wedding anniversary, and so we went without kids. <laughs> yeah, we're almost in the double digits. So exciting stuff. Yeah, and I was telling Chloe earlier today that maybe he broke his toe, maybe not on a ship. So that was fun. And the a different lady who was someone else's wife was very concerned about him, and I just kept laughing. <laughs> so doing that's great. Par for nine years of marriage, I think. I think that's the appropriate reaction. I just reminded him that there was a time, probably like nine years ago, that I was running down a hill with my nephew, and I tripped and fell. And it was like, have you ever seen those YouTube videos where someone's slipping on the ice and it keeps looking like, oh, okay, they're not going to fall. They're not going to fall. Yes. It's like the world's longest fall. It was like that. And then I told him that I thought I broke my back and my sister was there. He was there. Everyone was laughing at me and I'm like, my back. (laughs) So I said, okay, if you're going to harp on me for laughing at you, everyone laughed at me when I'm like, my back hurts. (laughs) I need to see a doctor. So. But anyways, if this is your first week joining us, welcome. We are lovely. You'll love us. I'm sure of it. But so the way we do things is one week Chloe will present a case, one week I will present a case, and then we both heard them. Well, the person presenting, I assume, has not heard this case for the first time when they're saying they're not shocked about what they're revealing, but the other person is responding for the first time ever. And so this week it is... Chloe's week. So, with that being said, take it away. Hey guys, we're going to Ohio. 
So, yeah, we're going to Canton, Ohio this week, which is like 60 miles south of Cleveland, 20 miles south of Akron. It's kind of in like northeast Ohio. We have a population of around 70,000. So, you know, it's a bigger like metropolitan area. And it was founded in 1805. Oh. Yes. Uh, Early on, Canton was pretty (laughs) into manufacturing, which for the Midwest, obviously, super typical. We're just some lovely blue-collar people up here. Uh, Well, that area is like Rust Belt, right? Yeah. They were really easily accessible by railroad lines, so that kind of made them a good manufacturing hub but in the late 20th century that all kind of drifted off and they switched over so now it's predominantly like service industry jobs finance healthcare industry not quite so much blue collar they also as of 2015 have a thriving arts district in their downtown area so good really that's what they said i mean i have not been there but they use the word thriving so I mean, if it's worth mentioning, it's got to be something which for, I mean, it's not like I'm shocked that there's people who do art in Ohio, but I guess I just didn't think of that as like an artistic village. No, I would agree with you on that. Most notably though, Canton is recognized for being the birthplace of the NFL, which is pretty wild. That's where I've heard of. Is that where the Hall of Fame is? Yep. That's what I was going to say. So yeah, the Pro Football Hall of Fame is there as well. So that's definitely their claim to fame. I mean, that's a pretty big deal. So shout out to them. Um, They also have some famous residents that are from Canton. So definitely right off the bat, President William McKinley, he's from Canton and his presidential library and museum are actually in Canton, which is pretty cool to have a president. That is cool. And then Macy Gray, the singer. Is oh, from I try to say goodbye yes. and I choke. That's an oldie. That's a I- jam. That brings me back to the nowadays, the CDs. It really, in our boat, we found a Now CD in the CD player, and it was very exciting. They were all the jams, okay? Those people knew what was going on. Do they still make those, or is that I have no idea. Obviously not in CD format anymore. I don't, do they even sell CDs? I have no idea. (laughs) I don't know. I don't leave my house. Okay, if anyone knows, let us know what now number they're on currently. I'm going to guess like now 762 or something because it was like now 12 when I was in middle school. Oh, it's got to be in the triple digits at least because I recall seeing now 40 something at one point in a store. So, and and it's been a while. Um, But, all right, we don't love this person. He's not a Mm. good person, but he is from here. Marilyn Manson. Is from Canton. Uh, Well, okay. So recently he's had some not so great press. But okay, is that just rumor? Because he's not charged with anything, correct? We're talking about like the weird guy. The one who, according to the Johnny Depp case, was railing lines of blow with him in Australia. That okay, but that's the guy who with like the very pale skin. Yes. I think he had boobs at some point when I was in middle school. Is that correct? For a music video or something? I was very I confused think- who 
Okay, this is, yes, the person you probably most notably, if you're talking about middle school, heard the rumor about his ribs, because what middle schooler did not hear that? Oh. That guy. You know, okay, there was there was that about him, but there was also a rumor when I was in middle school or high school that Shakira had one of her ribs removed to have a more ladylike figure. Well, that was like actually a thing, especially in the um, like the Victorian era. They used to f with their ribs for the corsets and whatnot. Ridiculous, <sighs> but yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Anyways, he's from there, and then I don't know, Katie. If you know who this is, I'm concerned that I know who it is. But Trippy Red, the rapper, is also from Canton, Ohio. Mm. He's. I need to look up a photo because sometimes I'll be like, I don't know. Is there a song that no, I would know? I mean, not that I can think of. I, he's like on a lot of like random, like newer rap songs. He was just in the Machine Gun Kelly movie, which was terrible. Don't waste your time. Um, I wouldn't because he does look very familiar. Trippy Red's real name is Michael Lamar White the second. Also FYI. Wow. What a proper young man. All right. Well, I don't really know. I, he looks familiar, but I don't know him, know him. And it's a SoundCloud rapper, which I don't know what that means. So, someone I wouldn't have heard of. And if he's associated with Machine Gun Kelly, no thank you. Eminem forever. We've already covered that in an earlier Ohio episode. <laughs> yeah, we got a lot of feelings about Ohio and Machine Gun Kelly. Mm. Anyways. For our crime this week, we're going all the way back to like the late 80s, early 90s. So the timeline for this is 89 to 92. Thomas Dillon was just a really typical mild-mannered draftsman for a municipal water department. He liked to cruise the back roads of southeastern Ohio pretending that he was somebody else, though. Okay. So I it feel was, him. It, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, do that today. <laughs> in his fantasy life, Dylan pretended that he was a multimillionaire. Okay, cool. I can get down with that. A life-saving scientist who cured AIDS. I can get down with that, too. That's actually pretty noble since that was like, but not the start AIDS of AIDS, but it. like the AIDS scare that he's imagining. He's like the trendsetter of vision boards. He was starting it before that even happened. Look at him. I mean, what a guy. Uh, or a Super Bowl winning quarterback. So those are all really normal, cool aspirations, right? How old was he actually? Um, ooh, I want to say, let's see. He was born in 1950. So oh. in 89... He was what? Almost 40. If it was 70 exactly, or 50, he was exactly born. He'd be 39. Yeah. That's what I was going to say, like 40-ish. Okay. Maybe I've changed my mind. That might be a little bit weird if you're this age. Uh, you know what? I've got kids. I feel like I'm driving around, they're screaming, and I'm like, I imagine a time where I was driving around and someone wasn't asking me if I have any more gum. So Yeah. Those I get kids it. are always after your gum. Here's where it gets weird, though, okay? So he would frequently drive hundreds of miles just in his own head, um, but he also liked to envision himself as a special forces soldier out hunting for enemy oh, Okay, combatants. This is... 
This is where it takes a weird turn, okay? <laughs> yeah. So he was married with a son. He was college educated. I will say he went to Ohio State, so let's all keep that in mind with our feelings for Ohio and particularly <laughs> Ohio State. Um, you and- know, I'm not from Michigan, so I don't have any specific feelings towards Ohio State, but it's a thing that I hear frequently here. Very strong, negative. Distaste. <laughs> yeah uh he kept mostly to himself just really remarkably average normal ohio dude right so this led to quite the surprise by those that knew him when it was uncovered that he had randomly murdered five people between 1989 and 1992 oh my god yeah so between april 1989 and April 1992, Ohio authorities were just really baffled, okay? They had this serial sniper on the loose who was killing campers, outdoorsmen, and joggers, just seemingly with no obvious motive. Oh. oh. So that's concerning. (laughs) Because I think it's, for me personally, I think... Like, obviously, the threat of being murdered is super scary, right? Yes, yeah. But for no reason at all, just, like, random, like, we can't figure out why somebody's out here murdering people, that's, like, my worst-case scenario. Like, I need something behind this. Yeah, it was, like, um, I don't remember the year in, like, Virginia and Washington area where that guy was just driving around, like, shooting people. Yeah. And I think he had a kid with him also oh my god but I, who was part of it not like i don't think it was a super young child but i think it was an oh. adult man and like maybe a high schooler or something like that yes. do you not remember am i making this up i swear that i thought this was real but now i'm not sure i'm not familiar but i also just don't like seek this stuff out quite as much as you so <laughs> there's that um, okay. So basically, they set up a task force between the local, state, and federal uh, departments to figure out who's out here killing these people. So the first killing occurred near New Philadelphia, which is a quiet community like 100 miles south of Cleveland on April 1st, 1989, when Daniel Donald Welling, who was 35, was shot while he was out jogging. Um, Dylan later claimed that this was just simply an urge that a voice in his head prompted him to do. So that's concerning. Uh, the next murders occurred in pretty rapid succession. The next one was 21 year old Jamie Paxton, who was shot to death while he was hunting outside of St. Clairsville which is kind of like on the border of Ohio and West Virginia. Oh my God, he's really going all over to kill people. Well, exactly. And that's like why they had such a hard time pinning him down originally. We'll kind of go into, um, after this, the FBI put together like a profile of him and they couldn't even figure out. It's kind of like, you know, somebody just zigzagging all over the place. Right. So the next uh, victim it occurred in Muskegon County on November 28th, 1990. Uh, he shot and killed 30-year-old Kevin Loring of Massachusetts, who was out hunting. 
On March 14, 1992, 49-year-old Claude Hawkins, who was a blue-collar father of four, which makes me sad, was murdered while he was fishing in Coshocton County. That's a fun word. That sounds like a Wisconsin kind of name. <laughs> Oconomowoc. Exactly. <laughs> and then in April 1992, West Virginia resident and father of three, Gary Bradley, 44, was shot also while he was fishing. So all these people were literally just out, like, minding their own business and... What's even scarier is as I was reading through all this information, um, at one point, like 60 Minutes did an interview with Thomas Dillon, and he had given a lot of uh, a lot of interviews, whatever. There's a lot of stuff about him talking, and he would like explain why he chose these people. And I can't remember which one, but one of the people that was fishing he was like, I drove by him and he waved and something in my head told me to turn around and kill him. Like just super random. These people were out there minding their own business, being nice. And that's oh. what prompted it, which is horrifying. What the hell? Also, I want to go on record as earlier saying like, I feel that driving around. That's not. I, I just listen to swear word music and drive around yes i can get on board with that (laughs) that's what i'm doing when i'm driving around pretending i'm somewhere and someone else i'm not not plotting murders of random no i mean not that it would be any better if he like shot someone if they didn't wave at him but it just seems even more mean that someone's like hey yeah i wave to everyone in our neighborhood and very few people wave back uh, yeah, I'm gonna so, stop waving at them. I don't need this. No. So at each of the murder scenes, there was very little to go on. The killer left virtually nothing. So no, like shell casings or forensic evidence. There were never any witnesses because this was generally. I mean, he was out in real rural areas. Nobody ever saw any cars or anything like that. So. Remember, we go all the way back, there was the 21-year-old Jamie Paxton, who was one of the first people that was murdered. His mom, Jean Paxton, basically was like, I'm going to mourn the loss of my son, but I'm going to be proactive about it. So how she decided to do that was she was going to start a letter-writing campaign with the local newspaper where she would openly address the murderer of her son through these letters in the paper. And everybody was like, no, like he's probably like a psychopath, basically. Like he's not going to be moved by your letters. He's not going to care. But I mean, we'll publish them if it'll make you feel better. She was just super, super insistent, which go mama bear. She was on it. So eventually they get a reply. And, uh, I think it was like a year after her son had been murdered. So the newspaper receives this anonymous, like two page photocopied typed out letter. And it was that he had sent it to the local newspaper, the times leader, as well as the sheriff. And then also directly to Jamie's family. Okay. 
Initially, I was like, I don't know what's going on with this dude, if he's just middle of the line. But he's driving around imagining he's a millionaire, he's cured AIDS, (laughs) or he's a famous football player. And then he goes on to do all these interviews. He wanted to be known. Yeah. And that's also why he responded, because I think that's how they kind of drew out the BTK killer. Yeah. Is that he had such a need to be like famous, like he was tempted by Yeah. Yes. Definitely. So this is um an excerpt from the letter. It started out, I'm the murderer of Jamie Paxton. Jamie Paxton was a complete stranger to me. I never saw him before in my life and he never said a word to me that Saturday. The motive for the murder was this the murder itself. Paxton was killed because of an irresistible compulsion that has taken over my life. I knew when I left my house that day that someone would die by my hand. I just didn't know who or where. Technically, I meet the definition of a serial killer. Three or more victims with a cooling off period in between. But I'm an average looking person with a family, job, and home, just like yourself. Something in my head causes me to turn into a merciless killer with no conscience. Five minutes after I shot Paxton, I was drinking a beer and had blacked out all thoughts of what I had just done out of my mind. I thought no more of shooting Paxton than shooting a bottle at the dump. So, super brutal. That's so mean. Can you imagine being his mom and reading, like, it wasn't, I mean, not that it's better if he, like, enraged him, but, like, it was just, like, completely senseless. Like, whatever. I don't care. Who cares? Right. Like, just no comfort at all. And probably, well, definitely, like, the complete opposite. So, hold on. How did, he must have been driving around with, like, a rifle in his car. So, he was buying up guns all the time. I can't remember exactly how many. Let me see if I still have this article pulled up. Because at one point, like, he had been buying I mean, he was buying guns from all different places, but I think he had bought, like, hundreds of them through, like, a co-worker or something. Oh, God. But so, like, he would come back from a drive and... 18 weapons from a licensed co-worker. Your bathtub is falling through your ceiling? No, he just thought it was funny to spray water down here. (laughs) Um, This window does leak, though, so... (laughs) regardless um yeah, so, so anyways he was getting lots of guns from lots of different places always switching it up but when he would come home from a drive and bring a gun out of his car he, his wife wasn't like okay he would say that he was like going hunting or like whatever oh. like it was known that he liked to go hunting that he liked to go to the shooting range um, everybody said he was a really bad shot, by the way, and a terrible hunter. So, really? Yeah. <laughs> but that didn't stop him, clearly. Uh. So, after this letter is sent, the FBI uh, Behavioral Sciences Unit is asked to prepare a profile on this person. And I can't remember exactly what they called it. I think they called it the Hannibal Lecter team is what they came up with to Stop. take down this guy. 
basically from reading through the entirety of the letter, they were able to decipher that the killer was an educated white male, um, which he was actually really smart. He had an IQ of like 135, which is wow, like up there. Um, but they were able to decipher that he was someone that had a predilection for crimes like arson, killing pets and farm animals. So really typical, you know, serial killer <laughs> activities. Yeah. <clears throat> it was not super spot on though, because they also predicted that the killer lived within a short distance of all the crimes when in fact he lived as far away as like 150 miles. Um, and they also initially thought that the murderer was in his 20s and he was like late 30s, early 40s when this was happening. Yeah. So he was 42 when he was arrested. They said that he might be like a nominal family man, but he was likely a loner, which was pretty accurate. They also surmised that he might have like a drinking problem and a history of compulsive vandalism. Uh, they said that stress would trigger the shootings, which would usually be committed while he was drunk. So that was like the profile that they came up with. Wait, so do you think he was drunk when he was killing people? I don't know. They did go into it saying that whenever he went out for these trips, he did bring beer with him. So I'm not sure if that was like a while he was driving around thing and he was getting buzzed or just an after. Cause like in the letter, he obviously does yeah. reference that like many serial killers, Dylan began acting out against animals and setting fires uh, from a pretty young age. He would later admit to setting more than a hundred fires and killing more than a thousand pets and farm animals. What? Um, his trips through the backwoods of Ohio were always taken alone and he would stop on his way to buy beer. So that was like the, like I was just saying, um, right. yeah. So, which I mean, people do when they go hunting, which is also very fucking concerning, but yeah, I also, I think he's a liar. Even if you have killed a crap ton of pets and farm animals, I feel like if you think it's been a bunch, there's no way that you're going to be able to quantify like over a thousand. Okay. But so in some of the other weird stuff that I was like reading about him, they were saying like some of his friends from high school, I think had either witnessed or he had just talked about it, but he would have like a calendar where like he would write down like the things that he had killed. And then he had a separate calendar where he would like write down like girls he had had sex with. Like he kept track of like a lot of this stuff. So. Okay. Maybe he's not lying, but he's real gross. And I don't know how his wife didn't realize he was real gross. I am. Yeah. I have no idea. So basically what happened was um, in August of 1992, the authorities received a tip from a high school friend of Dylan's who had become disturbed. He basically, these guys grew up together, right? Mm -hmm. And he had witnessed him like shooting at like cats and dogs and like all kinds of stuff. And that he had like a preoccupied, like he was like really into serial killers basically. 
So this is basically like when they interviewed this guy's name was Richard Fry. And he said he asked me at one point if he thought that he could or had killed somebody. So Thomas Dillon was asking Richard Fry if he thought he was capable of killing somebody. And the friend was like, the way he looked at me just like chilled my blood. This had all been kicked off. They were having a conversation about Ted Bundy. And so then it like came up and weird vibes. So as teenagers, Fry said that the two men would drive through the countryside. They would do normal stuff, I would say, for living out in the country, like shoot at road signs and like critters and stuff. Okay, whatever. But then he recalled that Dylan began getting more violent and cruel by shooting family pets that they would come across. What? And then once later in life, obviously, uh, Dylan shot a chipmunk in his backyard. He grabbed the dead animal and chased his son around the yard. And then when his little son tripped and fell, Dylan rubbed his face with the bloody rodent, uh, which is terrible. Uh, um. Yeah. I mean, like, I guess I'm, like, comfortable with, like, shooting things that you will eat. Right. But a a chipmunk is a woods rodent, essentially. And I'm yeah. like, does that kid have a disease now? Does your child have rabies? Mm, what's the other one? They carry the plague. I'm not joking. <sighs> like, chipmunks and... um. What did we have in Colorado? Prairie dogs, dude. Oh my God. Those things are, no. yeah, they're very cute though. Um, How crappy of a shot can you be if you can shoot a chipmunk though? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Cause that's uh, pretty. Anyways, he's screwed up. I think it's really mean to chase a little kid to freak him out. Especially if you uh, want that kid to be into hunting. Yeah. And just, like, gross to, like, put it in his face. Just, like, ugh. Um, so the first clue that really linked Thomas Dillon to the crimes after they spoke with um, his friend, you know, they started digging into him some more. Mm-hmm. And his off-duty and vacation time matched up with all the dates of the killings. <laughs> so they were like, hmm, weird how that works. So at that point, the FBI put a follow, like they were tailing him right? Um, for about a month. They watched him buy guns, drive around aimlessly, shoot at stop signs, animals, electric meters. But most telling, Dylan visited one of the guys that he had shot his grave in Massachusetts, which is real sus. Oh my god. That's yeah. a very far drive. That's a that's a bold move. Do you know I how think- pissed I would be if I was his wife and I found out every single time he had like vacation instead of us like going somewhere and doing something, this butthole's just driving. I mean, okay, I'd be pissed that he's a murderer also. Right. Don't don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But how pissed I would be, even if he wasn't a murderer, that he was just driving around the countryside instead of us going on a vacation. No, it's what BS. the hell? This lady put up with a lot, clearly. 
she didn't want to get slapped with a squirrel or a, a chipmunk or something. She was not going to say anything to him. I guess not. So throughout the summer and early fall, um, they followed him around. They really weren't able to pin anything on him except for like a cattle shooting. But as hunting season approached, they decided they had to move in and put a stop to this. They didn't want anybody else getting hurt. So initially they arrested him on a federal weapons charge and he was awaiting sentencing for possessing a silencer. And then at that point they announced that he was their suspect for all of the shootings that had happened. And at a press conference, they asked anyone with that had sold him firearms to come forward. So on December 4th, 93, a gun dealer brought in a Swedish Mauser rifle. I don't know what that is. Katie might. And I, mean, I don't know about Swedish, but I know what a Mauser rifle is. Yeah. Okay. So he said that he, that Dylan had sold this guy the gun on April 6th, the day after one of the victims was murdered. So they did ballistic tests on oh. rifle and compared them to two of the murders and they matched. So on January 27th, he was indicted on capital charges in both cases. Mm. So what ended up happening was he's a fucking pussy and... <laughs> He got the state to drop the death penalty. Uh, in turn, he would plead guilty for all five counts of murder. So he was sentenced to five consecutive life terms. And basically at the time he said, I have major problems. I'm crazy. I want to kill. I want to kill. Like those were like his words at sentencing. Okay. He blamed his turbulent childhood for his problems. Which I didn't super deep dive into this, but what I could find was his dad passed away when he was 15 months old. Super sad. But it said that I didn't... It said that his mom was just really not empathetic. It said that he didn't ever remember her like kissing or hugging him or telling him that she loved him. But she didn't like punish him super bad. I think she was just really distant. So, I mean... Okay, I can feel sad for his childhood and be like, that's sad that you lost a parent. But I mean, also maybe his mom was cold because she was dealing with her own trauma of losing her husband when she just had a baby. So That's what it sounds like to me. But regardless, doesn't give you the right to go kill random people. Yeah, cool story, Dylan. So So you're going to love this. He publicly stated that he was like super afraid to be sent to the Southern Ohio Correctional Facility in Lucasville because there had been a murderous riot just a few years before. So in response to his concerns, family members of the victims began a petition to send him. And more than 8,000 people signed the petition. So the state of Ohio honored <laughs> it and sent him to the uh, that correctional facility. Yeah. So that was good. That's exactly how I would set up stuff. I would be like, oh, these are just normal questions. Should we just ask, what is something you're most scared of? Ooh, spiders, are you? Mm, okay. <laughs> oh, what else are you scared of? The dark? Hmm. Oh, you're super racist. 
Well, unfortunately, the only prison cell we have available is completely dark, filled with spiders, and it is only other races that you're terrified of. So sorry. (laughs) Oh, my God. So unfortunately, he did not die in a murderous riot. (laughs) But in 2011, he did die at the age of 61. He, um, He had been in the hospital. He was in the prison wing at the Ohio State University Medical Center. And he died after an unspecified three week long illness. So I don't know really what happened, but he was sick and he is gone now. That I always feel so bad for the families of people. Like I've watched interviews with like the BTK's, I think, daughter. Mm-hmm. And like the amount of damage that those people do because they like feel guilty by association. Like they didn't know and this person that they cared about, it's almost like their dad is murdered as well by yeah their dad because it just shatters this entire like vision and view that you had of them and the things that you did. So it's like you not only cause damage to those five other families, but your own family is completely devastated. Yeah. And I didn't see any follow up on like what happened to his son and whatnot, but I, I, I would imagine that most of them, a lot of them don't dive super far into that as like a, privacy thing and yeah. I'm probably you could find information if you really push but I know a lot of the times when I'm reading stuff I don't because I, it seems unfair for them to be punished for someone else's decisions I agree but yeah, yikes so that's my crime for this week it was a wild ride for sure it was a wild ride it blew my balls off Good. Because I never heard of this one. I rest my case. (laughs) (laughs) So this week, I don't think that we're going to do a hot take. It's been a busy week in the United States. And... Yeah, life is a hot take right now. We need a a week off of that. Sorry, guys. But if you guys have any suggestions for hot takes you want to hear from us about, any hard-hitting questions like how do you use soap, I mean... That's what we're here for, to get to the bottom of it. But, guys, or maybe this week's hot take. So while I was in Canada, Tim Hortons is king. <laughs> like, that's yeah. everywhere. Although they do have a lot of Starbucks also. A lot. Starbucks is taking over. Honestly, I definitely am more Starbucks than Tim Hortons. But Tim Hortons for food, for sure. I will give them that. Okay, we have a Tim... We actually used to have a few Tim Hortons in Grand Rapids, mm-hmm. but a lot of them have closed. Yeah. And they also like reduce their menu by a bunch. Mm-hmm. So, and I don't know, I don't know if that's just like the U.S. I do know that currently at Tim Hortons, they have a Biebs remix. I was going to say, I know they've got a Justin Bieber collaboration going on. They do. You could get a Justin Bieber fanny pack. You could get some Justin Bieber Timbits. Oh my gosh. But their French vanilla like cappuccino thing, if anyone is like super into like McDonald's used to have a French vanilla cappuccino that was just delicious before like McCafe took over. Yeah. And so they took that away, but it tastes exactly like that. Probably terrible for you. But I am typically a Starbucks person. 
And I feel like every single time I go to Starbucks, I spend like $20, not yeah. 50. My mom has sworn that when I've been on the phone with her, they've been like, okay, your total is $50. And I'm like, I have never gone. Starbucks. <laughs> I've never done that. Don't, don't you say that to Mirza. He will be mad. Oh it's like God. my weekly allowance for Starbucks, not like one trip. But you can buy two coffees from Tim Hortons, like large ones for like $6. Deal. And that was in Canadian dollars. So it's even cheaper in U.S. dollars. Also, if you guys are coming or going from the U.S. to Canada, I really strongly encourage you to check out the duty-free shop. That was like mm. my heaven. You can buy a three-liter bottle of crown royal which my husband and his friends like crown royal and drink it i don't i did want to get a bottle of jameson that like went up to like my waist yeah just for the optics yeah i mean i don't drink jameson i don't even like it but i just thought it's like a real conversation piece you know what i mean it's got its own like stand so But that's all we've got for you guys this week. Um, as always, if you have questions or comments or suggestions for us, you can head over to our Instagram account at Maniacally Midwest. Our TikTok is the same, but I have not done anything with that in forever. So same old, same old. Um, you can email us at maniacallymidwest at uh, gmail.com. Check out our YouTube channel. Um, and... Be a doll and like and subs- like and subscribe. Oh my gosh, my kid! <laughs> she says that to me all the time to like and subscribe her because she watches YouTube nonstop. Yeah, I mean, definitely like and subscribe our YouTube channel, but give us a rating and a review on wherever you're listening to us on podcasts. Oh, and I forgot to throw in for you guys. Just as a little tidbit, this morning, my daughter told me that I look like a person who would like raisins. Now, (laughs) I don't know if anyone has any info for me. Is that an insult or a compliment? Because when I tried to follow that up with like, what? Is that good or bad? She just said, it's just how you look. (laughs) So I'm not sure. I don't know what to do with that. Let me know, guys. Insult or compliment? What do we got? All right. Well, we'll see you next week on that note. (laughs) See you guys. Bye. Bye.